morning, everyone. I'm glad that you could join, join us uh, this morning so I didn't have to preach to empty chairs. Thank you. And for those joining us by live stream, we welcome you as well. One of the themes of our community chapel this year has been examining the spiritual disciplines of the church. And I'm actually wondering how many of those sermons you can remember at this point. In fact, I only could remember three or four. I had to ask George what they all were. But as soon as he mentioned them, I did remember many of these messages. And we talked about corporate worship, sacred reading, hospitality, prayer, Sabbath, rest, retreat, study, solitude, and last week, service. All right, well, I've been asked to speak on the spiritual discipline of fasting. Now, fasting, as you might imagine, is not the most popular and most exciting, glamorous topic to speak on. In fact, I actually wondered if some people would decide not to listen to this message when they learned that the topic was on fasting. And in one way, I don't blame them. And that's because we don't like to fast, because we all love food. I think at least most of us. Yet, I think this uh, message is quite timely, in light, of, especially in light of our global uh, health crises in the world. And perhaps God is calling us to fast as a community and to pray during this difficult time. I also thought it was quite ironic that today is St. Patrick's Day, March 17th, a day of feasting among the Irish and everyone else who wants to be Irish. But as you know, we're not really celebrating that day today, at least not in with parades and etc. But it did remind me that the whole Christian calendar is one of feasting and fasting. That's a typical rhythm of the church calendar. And that, of course, is based on the Old Testament, based on the calendar that God gave his people of this notion of feasting on certain days and weeks like Passover, Pentecost, the Feast of Tabernacles. And so we're following in that tradition as we're thinking about fasting and feasting. And this, of course, is also Lent. A couple of weeks ago, we began with Ash Wednesday. And so it's also appropriate to think about fasting because this is something that we give up or we give, things, uh, give something up or we fast food during this season. So a few months ago, when George uh, Sweetman first asked me to do this uh, topic, to speak in chapel, and when he said it was going to be on fasting, I immediately thought, no. I didn't tell you that at the time, but I said, there's no way that I'm doing this. <laughs> so just to tell you why. So I grew up in a family that fasts, or at least we had a father. I mean, he's still alive. My dad's still, he's actually listening to this. Well, uh, he, um, he was fasting regularly, and he was an example to our family. And so I, when I grew up, I was fasting much more than I have in more recent years. And in fact, I hadn't been fasting for a number of years, partly for health reasons. So I thought, there's no way I can preach on this topic because I would be a hypocrite. How can I speak on fasting if I'm not practicing fasting, at least in the present? But then I realized that perhaps the Lord was asking me to reconsider this spiritual discipline for my own life and to begin to fast again on a regular basis. Interestingly, as I was trying to think about whether to say yes or no, I started hearing news programs on the radio all about fasting. The CBC had a, a radio program, as you might recognize, called Quirks and Quirks, and I enjoyed listening to that once in a while. But they had a program on the benefits of 
fasting, and particularly intermittent fasting. And it was quite fascinating. In fact, I was waiting, I was going to go grocery shopping, and I sat in the car for a half hour <laughs> listening to this program on fasting. And, then, and then, um, then at the same time, my brother and his family in their church was going through a Daniel fast, which is 21 days of eating only vegetables. And they were doing it as a church family. And so then I thought, in the end, maybe God was trying to get my attention. And I reluctantly, and George knows it was reluctant, I reluctantly agreed to speak on this topic. So why was I reluctant? Because I knew that it meant I needed to practice what I was going to preach, and I needed to begin to fast as a spiritual discipline. I also had to admit that my reluctance in fasting was not only due to health reasons. I had to admit that I love food, and I knew it was going to be very hard. And just as I predicted, it was very hard at first, especially. And I felt like a failure. Um, really, a real failure. I had to call up a friend to tell her I was struggling with fasting. Um, and then, so part of the problem was I started getting headaches, uh, the usual uh, side effects of lack of caffeine and food. And I'm from Sweden, so we, I grew up on coffee, right? I, it was, uh, but then, thankfully, I read, you can drink coffee while you're fasting. <laughs> So that was my savior. Thank you, Lord. So <laughs> I then started fasting, but I could still have my morning coffee with the Lord. <laughs> so I, anyway, as, so I, as, but I can say that it's still not easy. And I also want to say something else before we continue. Is I also want to give a warning, because not everyone can fast or even should fast for health reasons and for medical reasons. Some of us have to take uh, medicine with food. And so they have to have food. Um, furthermore, if anyone has a problem with their body image or have an eating disorder, please do not fast. That can be life-threatening um, for, for, for you. So I just want to mention that um, at the beginning here, that not everyone is called to fast from food. But there are other ways that we can fast by giving up something else, um, which is typical during the practice of uh, Lent. So, for example, I know people who will give up um, being on Facebook or social media during Lent, or they'll stop watching TV or, or sports, or they'll stop eating certain foods like chocolate or chips or something, you know, junk food or desserts or anything like that. So people pick different things to, to give up, as, um, and it's supposed to be something that's hard, so it's a sacrifice. I have good friends of mine, when they were raising their teenage uh, boys, one of the things they had was something called the unplug one day a week. And that meant for their, uh, their family, no electronic devices for one day a week, which meant no online, no computer, no TV, no uh, video games, Xbox, everything. It was a Sabbath rest from electronic devices. I think that we would find that harder than giving up food. In our society today, we really are addicted to our phones, right, um, or other aspects. And I think uh, maybe that's something God might challenge some of us, to give up some time on our electric device to spend time with the Lord. Richard Foster wrote in his book, Celebration of Discipline, that fasting reveals things that control us. Fasting reveals things that control us. And I think that's very true. It reveals what controls us, what's addictive for us, or addictive behavior, something that we're dependent on. 
even if they are good things in themselves. We become aware of our cravings, my craving for coffee. So if we cannot fast food, perhaps we can give something else up that is important to us so we can spend time with the Lord and to have time for acts of service and compassion. So in this message, I want to briefly consider what Scripture has to say about fasting. What do we learn about fasting from, from the Bible? Why do people fast and when do people fast? Interestingly, there's only a few set days in Scripture that occur annually where, when people were fasting. And the main one is the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur in the Hebrew Bible, uh, in Leviticus 23. It was observed, observed, observed <laughs> once a year for a purpose of repenting of one's sin, and it was a 24-hour fast from food and drink, and it also was a Sabbath day, so you were not supposed to work. Later on, we find that the Jews establish another day for fasting, and that's to commemorate the destruction of the temple by the Babylonians initially, and we see that reflected in Zechariah chapter 7, 5, and 6. Then later on, the Jews also commemorate the second destruction of the temple by the Romans, and that day is still celebrated on the 9th of Av, which falls in our summertime. In the Bible, we also see that fasts vary in length. Most of them are actually only one day. But there are a few examples of three days. Esther, for example. Uh, There's seven days. There's 21 days, the Daniel fast that I mentioned. And there's 40 days, Moses and Jesus, which are wholly exceptional fasts. We also see that fasting is accompanied by worship, prayer, and seeking the Lord. Anna, the prophetess, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, she came to the temple and fasted daily by prayer and fasting. Majority of the examples of fasting described in Scripture actually happen occasionally rather than regularly. In fact, they happen in response to something serious, something uh, urgent or a crisis of some kind responding to exceptional circumstances like we're experiencing today. In preparation for this message, I started reading books on fasting. I always do research. I am an academic after all. So I read uh, Scott McKnight's book on fasting, and I highly recommend it. It's a very profound read. And his main argument, or one of his main arguments about fasting is the following. Fasting is the natural inevitable response of a person to a grievous, sacred moment in life. I'll read that definition again. Fasting is the natural, inevitable response of a person to a grievous, sacred moment in life. So, for example, when we receive bad news or we're perhaps in shock in some sense, it's actually natural to lose our appetite. It's actually a natural bodily response that we don't want to eat. We lose our appetite. And so McKnight describes this as inevitable response to something very serious. So when we look at scriptures, it is true that that is a common practice when people fasted. It was in response to something very serious, grievous at the time. So I would like to spend the rest of our time together just to look at some examples of when this was occurring in Scripture. So first of all, in the Bible we see that people fast when they're grieving. 
when they're mourning when someone has gone away or when someone has died. In 2 Samuel 12, we actually read about David fasting when he learned that his son was about to die, and he was fasting and praying that God would spare his son. Then in 2 Samuel 1, we also see David grieving and mourning and fasting when he learned that his friend Jonathan and then King Saul had died. He fasted and prayed. That was his natural bodily response. It's also interesting that Jesus connects mourning with fasting. In Matthew 9, 14 and 15, Matthew 9, 14 and 15, we read, Then John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn? Mourn, that's the important word. How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he's with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. Jesus spoke of a time when he no longer be with the disciples, that he will be ascended to the Father. And that's the time they would mourn and they would fast. So Jesus connects fasting with mourning. He wasn't explicitly commanding them to fast, but you can see that Jesus anticipated that response. He expected that they would fast when he was gone. Secondly, I discovered that fasting is a way to demonstrate true repentance, grieving over sin. Fasting is a way of responding in true repentance, grieving over sin. I already mentioned earlier that the Jews practiced this on the Day of Atonement, but there are many other examples of this in Scripture. In Deuteronomy chapter 9, 17 to 21, Um, we have the description of Moses' reaction to when the Israelites um, worshipped the golden calf. And when that happened, as you know, he got very angry and he broke the the Ten Commandments, the tablets, and he uh, fell on his face before God and he fasted and prayed, and it says, for 40 days and nights, crying out to God, interceding that God would have mercy on his people. And God did hear Moses' prayer. In Acts chapter 9, I also read about Saul, who later became known as Paul, the famous Apostle Paul. He responded by fasting three days after encountering Jesus on the road to Damascus in Acts 9. This profound experience led Paul to repent of his sins because he had been persecuting the church and in turn persecuting Christ. So he was expressing his grief over his sin by fasting. Paul had had a sacred encounter with the Christ, and that led him to fast and pray. Thirdly, we see in Scripture that fasting happens when there's a national crisis or some kind of threat to the nation. And, of course, there are many examples of this as well in Scripture. I'm just going to mention a few. Esther, of course, fasted three days when she was going to approach the king and, and plead for the salvation of her people in Esther chapter 4, 16. In the book of Jonah, we hear about uh, the Ninevites and king, uh, the king of Nineveh calling a fast of repentance when he learned of the coming judgment. And more recently, at our Ash Wednesday service, uh, Dr. Kevin Livingston spoke on this passage from the book of Joel. The book of Joel is, is the context of the book of Joel is a national crisis. There is a plague, and the plague is a locust plague. 
that's eating up everything, devastating the land. Very similar to what's happening today in Africa, as we see in the news reports. And it's in this context that the prophet speaks of a coming day of the Lord, and the Lord calls the people to fast and pray and repent of their sins. So I'm just going to read a couple of verses from Joel chapter 1, 14, and Joel 2. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Blow the trumpet in Zion, declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, consecrate assembly. Declare a holy fast. It is a time of national crises, and God calls his people to gather together and pray and fast, to repent of their sins and seek his face. One more example from Second Chronicles 20. And this is the context where Jehoshaphat learned that the Moabites, Ammonites, and Edomites were attacking Judah. And Jehoshaphat was afraid. He set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the towns of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Oh, our God, will you not execute judgment upon them? For we are powerless against this great multitude that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We are experiencing a national crisis, a global crisis with this coronavirus epidemic. I'm wondering if God is calling his people to a holy fast so that we would know what to do. May we fix our eyes on the Lord during this time of crisis. Fourthly, fasting also occurs in scripture when people need divine guidance and protection and wisdom. When the Judeans were returning from Babylon, in, from their exile in Babylon under Ezra's leadership, this is recorded in Ezra chapter 8, they also called a fast, or Ezra called a fast. I'll read this. Um, this is Ezra speaking. By the Avaha Canal, I proclaimed a fast so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us and our children with all our possessions. So we fasted, and we petitioned our God about this, and he answered our prayers. We also see another example of the church gathering in Antioch, praying and fasting. Reading from Acts 13, verse 3. While they worshipped the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. And this was the beginning of the first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas. Fasting when we need guidance and protection. A fifth example of fasting in scripture is fasting as a way to draw near to God, to hunger for God. There are a few examples in scriptures where we actually get a sense of a regular uh, spiritual discipline represented by a spiritual hunger to seek God, to draw near to God, to become more holy, to become holy and Christ-like as God is holy. When we fast, 
we actually have a physical reaction of hunger, basic natural drive of hunger. We can, when we experience that, it becomes a symbol representing our hunger for God, our thirst for God. And we're reminded that we are a whole people. We are people of uh, unity, organic unity. We, that includes our bodies. So when we're fasting, we feel that in our bodies. And that physical hunger should be a reminder of our hunger for God, how much we really need God. Therefore, in that sense, fasting is, is a time for sanctification, of becoming more Christ-like. It's a spiritual kind of uh, training for us to become Christ-like. Here I'm going to quote from Dallas Willard, The Spirit of Disciplines. Fasting confirms our utter dependence on God by finding in him a source of sustenance beyond food. Fasting confirms our utter dependence upon God by finding in him a source of sustenance beyond food. It's very true. Now, there is a hint of this regular type of fasting in what Jesus said about fasting in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6, 16. Jesus said, when you fast... He didn't say, if you fast. He said, when you fast, do not look sober as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Again, Jesus is not explicitly commanding fasting, but again, he seems to expect it when he says, when you fast. We also know that Jesus himself fasted. He fasted 40 days at the beginning of his ministry. And during that time, he quotes from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8, verse 3, where he reminds us that none, all of us need to live, or not live by bread alone, I should say. One should not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And on another occasion, the disciples urged Jesus to eat when they had bought food in the nearby town of Samaria. Jesus responded, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. John chapter 4. Again, on another occasion, Jesus told the disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life and what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food and body more than clothing. Life is much more than food and drink or toilet paper. As you know, a lot of people are anxious about having enough food or supplies or medical supplies, but also toilet paper. This text is reminding us not to be anxious about these basic things. He knows what we need. And so we are to fast and seek God and to feed on his word and to feed on his will for our lives. Finally, the last point I want to make about fasting is that the practice of fasting is for the purpose of identifying with God's concern for the poor, for the hungry, for the needy, in order for us to become compassionate people, engaged in acts of justice and righteousness. We are to fast to become compassionate people. 
Perhaps the most significant, profound scripture passage on fasting is Isaiah 58. It's also the longest passage on fasting in the Bible. And for the sake of time, I'm only going to read a few verses, but I encourage you to read Isaiah 58 on your spare time. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To lose the chains of injustice and to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry? and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here am I. He will say, Here am I. If you read the whole chapter of Isaiah 58, you will discover that at the beginning, God is not pleased with his people. They have been rebellious, and they are offering unacceptable worship. Although they're seeking the Lord by prayer and fasting, the Lord is not pleased. Their self-denial only serves their own interests while they quarrel, fight, exploit, and oppress the poor. Now, the Lord is not rejecting the act of fasting and prayer in this passage, but rather he's condemning a self-centered form of piety that shows no concern for others. Moreover, we find that the Lord beautifully redefines what an acceptable fast entails by expanding its parameters to include compassionate acts of justice and mercy. If they practice justice, set oppressed free, feed the hungry, shelter the poor, clothe the naked, help all those in need, then they will encounter the Lord in profound ways. Commenting on this passage, Walter Brueggemann says, communion with Yahweh is linked to neighborly attentiveness. Communion with Yahweh is linked to neighborly attentiveness. When they love their neighbor and care for their basic needs, the people will experience their own healing. They will experience light in the darkness, healing and salvation, God's protective glory and his attentive presence. Their own needs will be met, and the Lord will respond to their cries of help. He will be attentive to their prayers and say, Here am I. What is so interesting about this passage is that fasting, according to this passage, is to make us more compassionate people. It's a call for justice, to care for the poor, to feed the hungry, the vulnerable, the oppressed. Quoting Scott McKnight again from his book on fasting, it isn't about us. What we give up when we fast should be given to others. What we give up when we fast should be given to others. So Isaiah calls us to action, to compassionate acts of justice and righteousness. Now, what does that look for us practically? 
for today. If we're fasting and praying, we might be able to give whatever money we saved by not eating a dinner or food to a charitable cause or to a food bank. Or if we decide not to go to restaurants, we could save that money and give it away in some way to help the poor, the needy, and the hungry. We could also think of other practical ways that we can fast Uh, In terms of time, we can volunteer our help and service at a food bank or shelter or whatever need that is in our community. The church that I attend, we make uh, casseroles for a homeless shelter that we've been supporting for years. And so we give up a a Saturday morning and uh, make 100 casseroles uh, every two months. And that's been a wonderful way to support that uh, community. And that is an example of giving up time. Another thing that we can do today, of course, we are all dealing with this notion of isolation. There's going to be people who feel very isolated this time, and maybe we need to check in on our neighbors and to buy food and supplies and to be attentive to others' needs. As I was thinking about this topic, I was also struck by something else. To choose to fast from food implies that we actually have food. To choose to fast from food implies that we actually have food. Most of us have lots of food in our cupboards. We live in a land of plenty. We're not starving. Most of us are not starving, at least. We take that for granted because we live in a privileged country. So when we are fasting, we can actually try to identify with those who live in poverty, those who are hungry, those who are homeless, who don't know where their next meal will come from. When I was younger, I remember our youth group organizing a fast for, for um, I can't remember what it was called, but it was for those uh, in, in other third world countries, what we called the majority world, that, where they were starving and didn't have food. And we fasted for the weekend and we were fundraising. I can't remember there's a name for that kind of thing. But, yes, the 30-hour famine. That's right. Thank you. Laura, appreciate that. The 30-hour famine. So that's another practical way. We can, you know, we can um, fast and try to identify what does it feel like to be hungry and to give our resources towards those who are lacking. There was one other thing I came across in my preparation was the notion of how we say grace before meals. And I came across this grace that was quite profound for me. I had not heard it before. Bless this bread, Lord and provide bread to those who hunger, and provide hunger for justice for those who have bread. Bless this bread, Lord. I'll say that again. Bless this bread, Lord, and provide bread to those who hunger, and provide hunger for justice for those who have bread. Bless this bread, Lord. May we become a people who hunger for justice, just as we hunger for bread. In conclusion, I want to remind us all of Scott McKnight's definition of fasting. Fasting is the natural, inevitable response of a person to a grievous, sacred moment in life. We're certainly living in grievous and difficult moment in life. But this grievous moment can become a sacred moment. It is sacred because it can lead us to a profound encounter with the Lord and a profound encounter with each other. It can lead us to our knees to seek the Lord through fasting and prayer. 
Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. One of the lines in our Canadian National Anthem says, God keep our land glorious and free. Maybe we should also pray, God heal our land so that we may experience true freedom and forgiveness of sin and Christ's salvation. We long for the day when Christ will return and make all things new. So is God calling us to practice a holy fast? To seek the Lord on behalf of our neighbor, our land, our world? What is God calling you and I to do in this time of uncertainty? During this Lenten season, may we be driven to our knees in prayer, and for some of us, also fasting. And then may it lead to practical action. Most importantly, if we do choose to fast and pray, may our fasting reflect the compassionate heart of God. Let's pray. Lord, we do pray that our hearts would reflect your heart of compassion for justice and righteousness. And we pray that as we hunger for food, we will also hunger for you. In, your Christ, in Christ's name we pray. Amen.